And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is the word of God. This is the word of God. <laughs> Come on. At Grace, that's okay. All right, let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this congregation. Thank you for the opportunity once again uh, to sit under the guidance and the power and the teaching of your Holy Spirit. Thank you that I have been learning this week. I pray that I would continue to learn even as I give this sermon. I pray that your people would hear and be encouraged and convicted. I pray that those who are here or listening who do not know Jesus would hear the good news and hear of his glorious kingly nature and that they would be changed by that. I pray all these things in the name of Jesus, amen. I was reading a uh, movie review this week um, and the author of that movie review kept using the phrase, I'm gonna go out on a limb but not very far. And so I, I found that, I've never heard that before, I thought that was interesting. And so I'm gonna start my sermon by saying, I'm gonna go out on a limb but not very far uh, and saying that if you are here this morning or listening this morning and you are a Christian, I, I believe you want to grow in your faith. I think that's true. I think where you are at in your faith, where you're at in your Christian walk, you want to grow. I believe that because when the gospel begins to work in our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit, our desire to please God increases. It's not something that we do on our own. The, 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 the presence of the Spirit in our lives increases that desire. We want to, to stop sinning. When we sin and we continue to sin, we see those things and it grieves us in our heart. We want obedience to God's commands to become something, something regular rather than intermittent. And so um, uh, this passage is for us. This passage is wonderful. Paul's continuing in his prayer. Last week he was praying a prayer of thanks for fruit he had already seen in the lives of the Colossian church. Here he prays for growth. He's asking God, to continue to grow his people. And so in this prayer, uh, this portion of the prayer this morning, we're going to see, I hope, a clear path toward growth. Uh, you're gonna see that, that the knowledge of God's will leads to living out of that will, leads to spiritual-fueled growth, the fruit of the Spirit. And all of that in the context of the glorious things that God has already done for us. And so we're going to see that. We're going to walk through that path this morning as the basis for this sermon. I believe, I believe that for Christians, it's going to be very practical, very encouraging. I hope, anyway. 
Um, and so there's an important point that we need to start with. The fact that Paul is appealing to God for our growth, the growth of, of disciples of Jesus Christ, it, it, this context points out something that's very important. So to start, we need to talk about the simple subject of what is prayer. What's prayer? Prayer, simply speaking, is speaking with God, but on certain terms, okay? Speaking with God on certain terms. Prayer takes place in assuming and accepting that God is king, that he's in charge, and that he's the source of truth. Prayer takes place in that context. It assumes that God is king. It assumes and accepts that God is a source of truth. Here's some examples. In the Lord's Prayer, we prayed it just, I think, last week or the week before. It begins with the phrase, hallowed be your name. That means I revere your name. I recognize the authority, the kingship of who you are. So when we pray, we admit God's in charge. That's why we're praying. That's why we're asking him for things. Another famous verse on prayer, more about asking for needs and asking God to help us, 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7. And I've mentioned this several times uh, we tend to quote verse 7 without verse 6, but verse 6 is very important. Listen, uh, verse 7, of course, is casting all your cares on him. But listen to how that section starts. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting your anxieties on him because he cares for you. The context of prayer goes to God as king and goes to God as the source of truth. So... That, that's what we're here looking at Christian growth, looking at spiritual growth. It's in the context of God's authority and God's truth. Now, that's important because the biggest obstacle to growth, the biggest obstacle to spiritual growth is the existence of the essential human rebellion. <laughs> the essential human rebellion. Let me explain. Every human heart has this statement in it, a declaration of independence, if you will. I have no king but myself. I have no king but myself, and there is no truth but that which I declare for myself. That's in every human heart. So unchecked, ungoverned, we would get what we call a non-Christian. So someone who has totally rejected the divine authority and absolute truth of God. Not for me, that person says. Now this, this, this way of living is marketed as self-governance, but really it's not. It's, it's a pseudo self-governance, if you will, because guess what? We are a servant in that place of our own selfish and unpredictable whims. When I'm in that place, I don't govern myself. My desires govern me. And scripture and life experience would tell us that that ungoverned declaration of independence is a path that leads nowhere good. It leads nowhere good. But Christian, we need to understand that this, the battle that we wage in life is also against that same thing. This is not just something that's in the non-Christian heart. This statement, I have no king but myself, and the only truth there is is the one I declare for myself is in our hearts as well. That's the battle of the Christian life. Our rebellion against God is what contends with our growth. That's why this is important. 
Our rebellion is what causes the Christian life to be confusing and painful. It's not how hard God's obedience is, it's that we want to do something else on our own for ourselves. Listen to Jesus describe the Christian walk. Matthew 11, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Listen, church, God's obedient, obedience to God, his demand for our lives, the fact that he is king, the fact that he is the source of truth is not the cause of our problems. Our rebellion against that is the cause of our problems. Do we understand this? Do we see it? And so we, we've gone through all this. What is prayer? The existence of this essential human rebellion because we need to understand that growth in our walk as a Christian begins with submission to God. Do you see this in the context? It's not stated directly, but the fact that Paul is praying for Christians to grow means that that's where growth starts. Submitting to God's authority, submitting to God's truth. And so assuming submission, assuming that that's where it starts, how does growth proceed from there? We go to the second part of verse nine. So verse nine, so from the day we heard, we've not ceased to pray for you. We're in a prayer asking what? That you may be filled with the knowledge of his will, God's will, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. In submission to God, growth proceeds from being first filled with the knowledge of God's will. That's where it starts. This is not a mystery. <laughs> this is not a mystery. The knowledge of God's will, as you can see by the verse, is actually provided by the Spirit in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That's why Paul is asking God to fill us with knowledge. Uh, the, the, this church, way back then, was dealing with a group of people, several groups of people in fact, but one of the groups of people that was trying to teach them false things was this group called the Gnostics, G-N-O-S-T-I-C-S. You don't need to know that, there's no quiz. But the Gnostics had this idea that is still around today. They said, listen, yes, great, Jesus, cool, but there's this secret knowledge. Did you know about that? Did you know about the secret knowledge? There's secret knowledge, and if you have the secret knowledge, my goodness, your, your horizons are expanded. And Paul is saying, no, you don't need secret knowledge. God tells us by his spirit exactly what we need to know. And so church, the same is for us. We don't need a decoder ring, right? We don't need numerology or anything else to understand what God is telling us. God is very clear about his will. Praise the name of the Lord that he's clear. He holds the truth and he doesn't hold it back. He gives it to us. We have it by the word of God. If you want a summary this morning of what is the will of God, here it is. Love God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And the New Testament actually condenses it even further. If you know me, you will obey me, says Jesus Christ. And so, what is the will of God? Obey Jesus. That's it. That's the will of God. And there's not a set of secret commandments we need to uh, uh, dig up somewhere in the Middle East. It's right here in the word of God. Albert Moeller, this is the hippest thing I've ever quoted in my sermons. He tweeted a few days ago. I don't even have Twitter, and I know he tweeted this. Um, Albert Moeller tweeted a few days ago, God showed me and God led me are commonly used expressions of evangelical piety. 
Well, God does show, God does tell, God does lead by his revealed word. It's right here. We don't have to go searching. There's no journey of self-discovery to figure out what I need to be doing. It's right here in God's word. This is where Christian growth proceeds from. And so growing in God, Christian, hear this. Growing in God sprouts from the seedbed of knowing God. That's where it starts. Knowing who God is, knowing what he's done, knowing what he wants for our lives. Because Paul is really good at writing, the language here smoothly transitions right into the next statement. And so as spiritual wisdom and insight fills our hearts and minds, and this is not just facts, it's a knowledge that makes a difference. As, as this knowledge fills our minds and our hearts, we begin to change. And that's actually what makes the Bible different than ever, any other book on the planet. As you read the Bible under the guidance and the power of the Holy Spirit, it changes you. Just reading it changes you. Literally, it changes you. Not like making you more, grow more facial hair or something, but, but it changes you in your very spirit just knowing it. Just knowing it. And so the knowledge of God, this difference-making knowledge of God moves us. It makes us, it moves us from rebels demanding our own kingdom to loyal servants seeking to please God. And so this movement, he labels it as, in verse 10, walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. Verse 10, so as to, so being filled with this spiritual knowledge, as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. We just finished learning, we've been in Genesis for a while now, since uh, before Christmas, and we're just going into Colossians, obviously. Um, But we learned from the life of Abraham, one of the things we learned is that God, is that the life that God's pleased with is not a destination, it's a journey. It's not productivity, it's it's the action of our life submitted to God. And so what does God delight in? What is the life that pleases God? It's a life Uh, excuse me, he delights in using the spirit-powered knowledge to change us. That's what God delights in. He enjoys changing the dead heart to a thriving, fruiting heart. That's what God likes. God likes that. God delights in causing rebels, once captive to their own sin and selfishness, to become workers of good. The words here, good works, means moral excellence. God delights in that. God delights in us learning more about him. Now, if you grew up like me uh, in churches where they were mostly teaching moral perfection as a way to please God, this phrase, uh, walk in a manner worthy, can, can feel like a heavy burden. It can feel like a heavy burden. I'm not worthy. That's, that's the problem. I'm not worthy. So how can I possibly walk in a way that's worthy? We have to go to the rest of Scripture to find comfort And remember that God starts salvation, God starts salvation, and he doesn't just start it and leave it, he finishes it. Philippians 1.6 says, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to what? Complete it. Our growth, our movement is on God's terms by God's power. 
And so walking worthy is not a grinding out of our own righteousness. Somebody sent me a quote this week where the, the, the pastor said, we're not building a resume for God. That's not what walking worthy is, piling up things that will impress him. No, we are people of sin and need. And so what's the main concern of our lives as we walk worthy? The main concern for us is submitting, simply submitting to the authority and the truth of God. That's the main concern. We make it more complicated than it needs to be. And so where is there comfort in that? There is comfort in the fact that the Father has planned our salvation. Jesus Christ has revealed our salvation and the Holy Spirit accomplishes our salvation. That's comforting, church. It's not all on our shoulders. This is where the flow, this is where the yoke is easy because we're simply flowing with the Spirit as God has revealed it in his word, trusting that he is in charge, trusting that what he says is true. So once again in the passage, the Spirit shows up. So let's recap. In submission to God, the truth-telling King, growth is not something that we earn. Growth, oh, excuse me, I skipped ahead. We're filled with the knowledge of his will by what? The Holy Spirit. And as we venture on this submissive, pleasing, worthy walk, we grow, guess what? By the Spirit. Here we are again. And so look at verse 11. So we are filled with knowledge by the Spirit, we're walking in this manner worthy, and then we are being strengthened with all power from guess where? The Holy Spirit, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience and joy. And if you recognize some of those things, these are the fruits of the Spirit. The famous passage is Galatians 5. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And so Christian, hear this this morning. Our spiritual lives, they blossom by the power of the Holy Spirit. Growth is not something that we earn. Growth is not something that's a result of all these things that we just have to do, the to-do list. Growth is the result of following Christ. That's the easy yoke. And so as we take verses nine through 11 and we boil down the truth nugget, if you will, that's not a theological statement in any way. Uh, truth nugget's a little weird, I'll stop saying it. Um, here's the truth. Where submission to the truth and the authority of God is, there is growth, that's it. Where there is submission to the authority and the truth of God, that's where growth occurs. That's where it is. And where there is rebellion, where we are saying, no, I am king, no, I know the truth. That's where growth is stunted, tripped up, or non-existent. That's the two things we're learning. And so I would say to those listening who are in that camp of complete rejection of truth and authority, I want to tell you in love this morning that the rejection of God's authority, the rejection of God's truth, it only leads one place. That's darkness, disbelief, degeneration, and discouragement. That's it. It's the only place it can lead. Think about this, our human kingdom, when we are in charge, that kingdom is fragile at best, at best. And I'm just talking about myself. I don't have control over my life. Even when I think I do or I want to, <laughs> I don't, I can't. 
let's be even more honest. I don't really have wisdom. I don't really know what to do. We make choices, certainly. I'm an Enneagram 8, which means I'm decisive, which sometimes can be a real, real problem, okay? Because I make choices, but I don't really know. Let's be honest. We don't know. We don't really have power to change, maybe for a short amount of time, but guess what? We are, are bent and we're blown to and fro by the desires of our hearts and the shiny things of the world. That's the human kingdom. So as much as we or you want to think that you are solidly on the throne of your own life, that you are your own king, and that's the best place to be, the question that scripture is asking is, well, what if God says who he is? What if who he says he is is true? What if God is who he says he is? And that's why I love how Paul has written this particular section of scripture as if he was looking for my approval. He saves the best for last. You want to know who God is? Are you wondering who God is this morning? Verses 12 through 14, it's like an an explosion of truth that leaves shrapnel in every part of your life. Verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you. Stop there, qualified us for what? What, what? What qualified us? Listen, we do not have to qualify ourselves. Do you understand what that means? We don't have to do enough for God to say, good enough. We are qualified by the credentials of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ's perfection, his righteousness, by the mysterious power of the Spirit is credited to us, lowly sinners. And so when God sees us, what does he see? The righteousness of Christ. We are qualified by God. That should be a great relief to people who know they are sinners, who have no qualifications. We're provided for in that way. Again, qualified us for what? To share in the inheritance of the saints in light. To share in an inheritance. The Christian life is actually less about now than it is about later. I mean, there certainly is a lot to do now. There's a lot to think about. There's a lot to believe in. But we as Christians, we're set on a path with a treasure trove at the end. I've been reading The Hobbit to the boys. This is as nerdy as it's going to get this morning. And, and the dwarves and Bilbo Baggins are, are going through all these really hard circumstances. Why? Because of the treasure found at the Lonely Mountain. And so they go through awful things. Why? The, the promised treasure at the end. If that's not a description of the Christian life, I don't know what is. We go through hardship. We push through. Why? Because of the promises, the sure promises of God. And the good news is our treasure is not guarded by a dragon. It's guarded by God for us, waiting for us. So that whole illustration broke down. Just forget it. (laughs) God has, as we continue in verse 13, past tense, delivered us, Christian, from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. God has taken us, present tense, past tense, from the kingdom of pure evil and pain and rebellion where there is no hope and he's transferred us to this new kingdom where what? We have redemption. We have forgiveness. And so what can we do? We can live with the hope and the work toward pleasing God. For, for the Christian, we've been rescued already. This is the truth. This is the truth. Submission 
has become a nasty word in our culture. It's become a nasty word, and there's really no other word to use. It's become a nasty word. And so the question would then be, for a modern person, how can we, as individuals with a personality, with rights and privileges, how can we comfortably submit ourselves to this other thing? That seems really out of character. Well, here's the reason why, because Jesus is such a better king than we can ever be for ourselves, and he has proved it by his loving work for us. That's it. That's how we can be comfortable in submitting ourselves to God the king, the source of truth. Christian, this is our motivation. What you just read in verses 12 through 14, past tense, he's already done it. It's promised in the future. This is our motivation. This is the foundation on which we can gladly obey God. This is the reason that we can humble ourselves. This is why the yoke of Christ is easy. The work of Christ, his, his love for us, God's plan for salvation, the powerful presence of the Holy Spirit. It leaves no good reasons. It leaves no good reasons to hold on to our selfish desires, our demand for our own kingdom, our demand for our own truth. I agree. Closest thing to an amen in, what, five weeks? Okay. Um, so listen, looking at the entire prayer of Paul, when the gospel bears fruit, amen and thank you, God. When it bears fruit, amen and thank you, God. But that is not a reason to rest easy, to stop our Christian growth. Oh, look, fruit, great. Sanctification never leaves us alone, Christian. It never leaves us alone. The truth about who God is requires action. And so we as Christians can never expect to be done with conviction or confession or repentance or seeking to please God or doing good works. That's what we're called to do in increasing amounts. And so the description we get here, the, the, the truth that we're seeing here is that the Christian life, what does it consist of? God moving us forward, God moving us forward in the secure truth that he has done all these things for us already. That's the Christian life. And so our call as Christians is what? To constant submission to the truth and the authority of our glorious king. That's what we're called to. And that's why Paul goes to God in this passage to ask him for growth for us, for the Colossians. That's one of the reasons that we each week act out that act of submission in the Lord's Supper. When we come forward and we eat of the bread and we drink of the cup, that's exactly what it is. We're physically acting out the spiritual submission of our hearts. When we're eating the signs of Christ's body and blood, there, we're saying there's no other nutrition, there's no other spiritual place to go to be uh, Nutritionize is not a word. To be bolstered in our souls, to receive that thing that we need, there's no other place to go. 
And so what do we do? We come forward together to the table because there is no other place to go. Here we find our king, here we find truth. And so this morning as we participate in the supper, let's make this a time for recommitment. Let's make this a time for resubmission. As we pray here in a moment, we've already had a confession of sin, but let's very specifically as we approach, begin, uh, get ready to approach, let's confess our rebellion. We all have it. Confess our rebellion. Let's humble ourselves. Let's give our burdens to God. Let's pray for the filling up of the knowledge of his will. Let's pray for the life that pleases our king. Let's pray for the fruit of the spirit. Let's pray for growth. And then we'll participate in saying, the only place I can get any of those things is Jesus Christ himself. Let's just take a moment and pray. And before we do, allow me to say this. If you confess these things are true, if you've made that profession that you are a sinner and all you need, all there is to save you is Jesus Christ, If you've been baptized, you're invited to come and eat. You're invited by the giver and the finisher of our faith. But if you live your life in active rejection of God's authority and his truth, the Bible makes it clear. It doesn't make any sense to come and eat because you're not submitting. You're, You're saying, I don't want that. And so if you don't want it, don't come. And we'd ask you to respect that this morning as well. So let's take a moment. Let's pray to ourselves or gather us back together with a prayer of blessing. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, in honesty and uh, even partial self-awareness, we admit this morning that our, our rebellion is great. That's not a mystery to you. In fact, uh, the extent of our rebellion is still a mystery to us. But you, in full knowledge of our sin, our horrendous self-worship, you loved, you gave grace, you gave mercies. As the prayer says, my iniquities are great, but you are more than adequate to my relief. What a blessing, beyond blessings, to have a king that is rich in mercy. What a blessing that the blood of your son can cleanse us from such deep stains of sin as are present in our lives. What a blessing that the power of the spirit is alive and active in subduing our rebellion. And so this morning, as we come to take the Lord's Supper, we bend our knees before you at the great glorious weight of this truth. And we pray these things. In the name of Jesus, amen.